0: O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. You would probably say that we would be a people open to the Holy Spirit. We would say that we were a people led by the Holy Spirit and a a people who would encounter uh, the Holy Spirit. We, uh, in, in the sort of context of church life, Using all the denominations, we are a group of people who are apparently would supposed to know about worship. Uh, many of us uh, left churches to uh, be a part of churches uh, that would do, if you like, worship differently because uh, worship in the past was often described as uh, stiff and formal and routine. and and predictable and yet I want to suggest to you uh, this morning that that equally in worship and as charismatics we can be uh, predictable and routine In fact, I want to suggest to you that had we changed the service around this morning slightly and asked you to do some different things, that maybe one or two of you would have been uncomfortable with that, emailed me and wrote to me and said things to me. So we're not as as open as we probably think that we are. In the past, we followed a, a formula, didn't we? Of what I used to, be, I used to call a for him sandwich. And yet, as charismatics, I want to ask a question. Is there not a formula? Did we not follow a formula uh, this, this morning? In Psalm 95, David invites us to respond to an invitation to worship. And from the early part of church history, Psalm 95 has been used to call and actually to guide us in worship. It's been something that has been there as part of the history of the church. Centuries before that, people would use uh, this chapter, typically on the Feast of Tabernacles, to celebrate that feast. So, it's been something that has not just been used in our generation to call people, it's been used for hundreds and hundreds of years. In the Feast of Tabernacles, they would reenact their encampment in the wilderness and, and reenact them coming out of it which actually, just so that you know, is what worship really is all about. It's coming out of, it's a celebration of coming out of our wilderness and into the promised land. So there it is for us. So we think that we've got all the answers, but they had them way before I did. In Psalm 95, we are told uh, the what and the why and the how of worship. And this has been there for centuries and yet I would like to suggest that there is still a battle for worship I would suggest that there's a battle amongst style and preference and age it's a battle for worship and I want to suggest that not only are those things true but also there's somebody that does not want us to worship There's there's an evil hostile presence called the devil that does not want (coughs) you to worship Jesus. Sometimes we fail to recognize the things that occur that stop us in worship. Worship is always directed to God and not to ourselves. It is not about what we get out of it. It isn't. It is about what we give to him. It's a giving thing. It is not a receiving thing. I'm anti sometimes worship conferences a little bit. Because let's worship the Lord for ages. Let's see, you know, and no. Verse 1, O come, let us sing to the Lord. <coughs> it's a standard. We give to him. Secondly, the entrance of worship is always thanksgiving and not petition. The times that I have been in meetings, when the opening, if you like, foray of worship, one song has been, will you come down, will you save, will you heal? It's not what our instructions are. Not only is it to Him, but it is not about giving a petition. Look, verse two: Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. It's, it's that's it. You know, I've, I have to admit, I've sometimes uh, I just think, well, you know, do you not read the same Bible as me? Oh, you know, one song in Lord Save Millions. No. He's God. Third, the context of worship is God, who He is. What is like, verse 3, for the Lord is a great God and the great King above all gods. That's where we journey to. That's where we stay. That's where we fix our thoughts. That's where we end. It is about moving to that and staying with that. There is no other subject other than the Lord is a great God. That's what we give. So we've got that. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to just work this through with uh, sort of almost verse by verse and a little bit over-comment about what I've uh, uh, just said. So verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. We We said earlier that our focus should be on the Lord. But how is it on the Lord? Well, here the psalmist tells us, We sing. In fact, he doesn't just tell us that we sing. He tells us that we should sing aloud. The Hebrew word for come, let us sing is actually bring a ringing cry to the Lord. That's not a sort of miserable thing. It's a ringing cry. Use your whole voice, the psalmist is saying. Boom it out, he's saying. That's what we're doing. So this is what I want, and this is what I want for you. I want you to boom out my name. Love it. Make a ringing cry to my name. There is a reason for that. Jeremiah prophesying about the return uh, from exile sees a people actually making this loud noise. And they are bowled over because they have been released From captivity, we're a people released from captivity, and in Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, Jeremiah is prophesying and he's saying, "How do these people who have been released from captivity?" How, what is their behavior like? What does it look like? What does it sound like? And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 32, it says this They come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they are radiant because of the goodness of the Lord. So, this is what we look like, this is how it is. This is a, a people freed from exile, singing aloud to their God, radiance before the, because of what God has done. Isaiah, uh, when the dead are raised, he actually says, do you know when the dead are raised, something happens? Now, I, I actually uh, can confess, you've heard me say this before, that I've been in the presence of people that have been raised from the dead. I have to say this, that when I was, I was scared. It is a little bit frightening to get wheeled on people, uh, for them to share their testimony about how many days they were dead for. And so it is something. But what was interesting is that I was in a room where they were in another room. And they were brought through to some English guys and this sort of stuff who were going to calmly listen to the testimonies about the raising of the dead. And what was interesting is that when the Chinese guy opened the door, they could not contain themselves in bursting through the door and telling their story. And he he was almost going, slow down. Come on, woo woo woo, slow it down. And he was absolutely, he actually had to say, Look, I am trying to translate this because this remarkable event had made such an impact, you could not keep them behind a door. They were in and wanted to tell. Isaiah pictures this and he says to us, and in picturing us, because of what has happened to us, he prophesies and he says, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, you who dwell in the dust, awake, and you will sing for joy. It's true, isn't it? Now look, folks, salvation means that Jesus has filled us from exile. Salvation means... That we are no longer dead in our sin. Salvation means that we have been given the eternal eternal life. We are no longer dead in our sin. God has raised us. We have been raised, and we are not impressed. <laughs> not impressed with that one little bit. Now, in the post came my Sainsbury's nectar points. That. <laughs> Is impressive three hundred free gift of nectar points Whoa this is worthy of praise <laughs> The fact that I was dead in dead in sin eternal life know these These are not expressions. No, Jeremiah and Isaiah says, Come, sing aloud on the height of Zion. Awake and sing for joy. This is a people released from exile. This is a people alive. This is our celebration. No wonder the psalmist continues, he said, Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. I would like to just deal with this theologically once, and pastorally once, and then pass it by. Because can I dismiss once and forever that this verse means it qualifies those who can't sing to sing? I know you can't sing. I know you're a pain in the backside. I know I have to sit by you. That's why there's a gap between Belinda and Rupert because Belinda can sing and Rupert can't. There's a gap. <laughs> but Belinda turns to Rupert and says, never no, never mind, it's a joyful noise. This, this is the most unbiblical comments in the bible and people use it don't they? they don't worry about them they make a joyful noise it is what is this i don't know it makes me sometimes want to put my head in the oven as, as we hear it uh, time and time again they just make a joyful noise i'm going to give you the biblical answer to this in a second so and then i just want to never hear it again amongst us okay because it just is wrong okay it just is wrong So, let's deal with this firstly. Let's just say what this joyful noise is. It is not a joyful silence. It isn't. It is a joyful noise. I'm glad you're with me, Tom. It's a joyful noise. This is the biblical thing. It is a noise. I'm just contemplating the Lord for a moment not when you corporately gather you can contemplate the lord in your bedroom on your own spend loads of time so when we gather we make a joyful silence no noise <laughs> i don't know whether you've ever thought about this do you know who gets the most complaints in regard to noise in in the history of rock groups who has got the most who's got the most complaints you are allowed to speak to me at this point pardon Led Zeppelin no status quo no Oasis no the who no pardon Peter Andre no (laughs) we know what you like though just because he takes his shirt off just oils himself Oh, sorry, (laughs) Beatles. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, Beatles. No, the most complaints that have been issued across a rock band are the Rolling Stones. They have had the most issues of noise globally. Now, I want you to imagine that in Wrexham, instead of Mick going to do this, that the Rolling Stones were going to play a series of concerts at the football ground. Can you imagine Wrexham's response to this? The poor www.gov whatever Rexham would be inundated with complaints. But I just want to say this. I've never had a complaint about Gateway Church Wrexham, singing too loud. I just want you to know that. And it just is incredible, isn't it? We've not had people that have gone past the university and said about the church, blow me, did you hear the church? They were just singing so loud. It just does not exist. Do, do you hear Gateway Church? I'm calling the police. <laughs> it just hasn't existed. So let me just encourage. We need to work on the joyful noise bit. We we just do. You know, I just just an observation. How do we do singing in the spirit? It goes something like this, doesn't it? it goes. It just is. And the reason, the reason is the joyful noise ends up to being a joyful, because actually we need, and we think, no, come on, come on, folks. Joyful noise. Come on we, And then what Phil does is that then the piano goes, they're not going with it. So it peters out into just dust. Here is the biblical understanding of joyful noise for you, Rupert. Okay, here it is. Yeah. Joyful noise is a shout of victory in, and triumph in the presence of our enemies. That's what joyful noise is. It's defiant. It's over the top. It's flag waving. It's tongue sticking out. It's, it's, it's chest sticking out. It's sort of standing on the battle line and declaring to the enemy, you know, who you are and what, what you have got in your tool shed, as it were. When you come to worship and you don't feel like that you want to do it, here's the reason, because the joyful noise is addressing sort of the enemy it's sort of that's what it is. It's sort of standing in front of you, standing in front of the enemy. It's a na 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 to the enemy. So when you're making a joyful noise, you're pushing him back. So when you arrive, you wake up on Sunday morning and you do that. I don't know whether you like me. If I drop the soap in the shower three times, bad day. <laughs> and if I sh- drop the soap and I'm preaching. It's just awful, and those sort of things. And we need to go not to trouble. We need, the joyful noise to the God declares to the enemy, "You will not have me. You will not triumph over me." That's what the joyful noise is all about. When you don't make a joyful noise, you are allowing the enemy to have a victory in your heart. That's what happens. So I'm not not sure about worship this morning. And you one. Just one. The defiance, though, is not in your tongue sticking out the enemy. So I don't want you to turn up on a Sunday morning, the first song, Phil's playing it, Tim's thrashing, and all you're doing is sticking your tongues out. That's not it. it. There has to be content to the joyful noise. So, And the defiance is in what you sing let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation or about the rock of our salvation our shout of victory our triumph in the presence of our enemies our defiant over the top declaration of who god is is declaring where my security is my security is in the rock of my salvation. That's where it, it, it is. It's sort of doing that, yes, to him. We're telling him so. Look, my security lies in it. Although I've dropped the soap three times, you're the rock of my salvation. And I'm going to tell you that loudly. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 7. God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Here's the defiance. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be removed into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, okay, all this is going on, it's mad now. God is in the midst of her; She shall not be moved. God will help her when when morning dawns. Nations raise the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the declaration that we make. and some of us have to make it in our hearts. Some of us have to make it in our kitchens and in our cars. And, and some of us have to make it when we're setting up the coffee and I've spilt it on my trousers and all that sort of stuff. We have to constantly, we perhaps want Psalm 46 to be So that when we gather, the enemy flees and God comes. Verse 2. Oh. Verse 2. Come, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. There's a decision that we will make to worship. Here the psalmist tells us the decision is not only individualistic decision, but it is a corporate one. Come, let us worship. The battle actually is won in this area. You and my decision to worship. You can stick your hand in your pocket if you want to. But then don't blame Phil. The decision is is yours. You make the decision. The desire to worship is is yours, Tom. Absolutely yours. And and nobody else's. But actually, the encouragement comes from us all. Comes from us all. Now, I I don't know how many jokes you got from Chris this morning on the way. 19, 33, 792... If you can get them, all the not-not ones in. But it's, and it's really interesting that we, we don't sort of grab each other, do we? And sort of say, come on. You know, the, the, you know we talk about things, you know, when we come in, it's been a bit, bit tough this week. We don't go, come on, let's worship. Come on, let's do that. You know, our first response is not, "Come on, come on, let's get into the presence of God. I find it really interesting that these days that worship songs have replaced the biblical instruction for corporate. So there are a lot of songs that go, come, let us worship the Lord. So our first song in worship is doing what we should be doing beforehand. And we're losing, excuse me, the worship leaders listen to this on the internet going, and we we have four songs that actually tell us what we should be doing together. We should, you know, come, come, let's worship the Lord. Come, come on, let's get into his presence. Now there is a reason for that, is that the responsibility says, come, let us, and the, and the reason is the presence. Come, let us come into his presence. The reason for that is that, is that the people know that the answer for you an I is the presence of God. And that always remains the same. It always is the same. The the only answer is the presence of God. But I love the illustration that this word the presence use here. Because it means literally his face. Come into his presence that brings you face to face. Now there are two verses that I want to bring to you in this. Just want to do a side thing. Because I want us to understand a little bit about his face. We sang a bit of it earlier. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in parts; then I shall know fully, even as I have been made known. And I was young we used, used to sing this hymn, see whether Phil can remember it, face to face with Christ my Saviour, face to face, what will it be? What will it be like to be face to face? Phil doesn't know it, I'm, I'm in good ground. It's because he's a pagan uh, strict Baptist and I'm a perfect strict Baptist. <laughs> and the, the question is, if you think about it, uh, especially, it's quite meaningful, the idea of face to face, isn't it? It plays... An important thing. If we if we want to see somebody and we want to say something to them. If I want to meet you, Stephen, you know, I want to say something to you. I, I, I want to have a face to face to you. I don't want to talk to you on the phone. I don't want to write you a letter. I don't want to send you an email. No, this is important. Let's meet face. This is important. Let's meet face to face. Do you get the idea? This to God, this is important. Let's meet face to face. It's a, it's w- sometimes if I want to you know, confront you, I'll confront you face to face. So it isn't just not only is it important, not only is it a joy, but also I might want to say something. And equally, you might want to say something uh, to me. It's very, It's vital. It's important. Now, in Deuteronomy, the same expression is used of Moses, who knew the Lord face to face. Now, what, what is that? Did he literally meet God nose to nose? Let's try and put this in context. The first reference is heaven. We've sung it. You will, I will one day meet God face to face. We, the Bible says that we will see him and we will be like him. God will be in front of you. Jesus will be in front of you. You will know. That's extraordinary. But the second reference, the the one in Deuteronomy, is not a reference, did he see him face to face? It is a description. And it basically is talking about what the Bible describes as the felt nearness of the Lord. Moses knew the Lord. He knew him. He knew how he ticked, knew how he thought. He could hear him. He could feel him. He knew him. This is where God wants to take us in worship. It's why it's worth fighting for. What occurs in worship is the felt presence of God. And that, the extraordinary thing is that, that you and I can know that differently. Because God's felt presence will be different right across this group of people. And the pathway is clear. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to him with praise. Press through and you will experience the nearness of God. Wow. Verse 3 then. I'm not going to do all the verses. You're all right. I'm going to miss some out. Why why should we worship God? Why should we come and sing? Why should we make a joyful noise? David answers that and he just says this. Because God is a great king and is above all other gods. That's that's what he says. You see, if you say the Lord is a great God and the great king above all gods and then you make a decision to not engage in worship what you are actually saying is that I don't believe that God is a great God and the great God of all other gods. You, it's no good you saying, yeah, but I love the Lord in my heart and all that sort of stuff. No, what the Lord is looking for, and we'll come back to this in a second, is looking for wholehearted commitment to worship him. And, and our, our lifestyle, our attitude our, our disengaging says to him, you don't believe that I am. The, the negative word, do you see that? When you do, it says, God says, yeah, they, they believe I'm a great God. When you go, no, then it says, no, they don't believe I'm a great God. So worship is a a declaration of who God is. It's a declaration of his greatness and a demonstration of his heart towards him. Piper takes this a little bit further. I want to quote it to you. It's slightly negative, but it's really quite interesting. Piper, Piper quoting our reaction towards the greatness of God quotes Psalm 86, verses 8 to 10. And so he says this, There is none like you amongst the gods, O Lord, uh, nor is there any works like yours. All the nations uh, shall, uh, uh, have made that you have made have come and worship you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And Piper, as, as usual, does, does a, a, a fancy statement that keeps you scratching the head, and then he explains it. So his fancy statement is this. The greatness of God is utterly relevant. Then he qualifies it and he says, it is utterly relevant for everything in life. So the greatness of God doesn't just spur us to worship. It is an important, as it, as it were, uh, what am I trying to say? It, it's, it's something that must stay there in regard to our view of everything. If the greatness of God is not there, then life gets distorted. Yeah, that's sort of thing. So he goes on and he quotes this using Psalm eighty six he said, If we saw the greatness of God, we would not be greedy or covetous. If we saw the greatness of God, our eyes would not stray onto lustful images or thoughts. I dunno why I looked at you then, Phil, but I'll, sorry. If we saw the greatness of God, we would not get angry with our children so easily. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't pout and get hurt so easily. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't worry about what we look like so much. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't spend time watching mindless and sordid, defiling television programs. (laughs) That's his description, not mine. Must be worse in America. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't get so discouraged with the evil and godliness of our culture as in Rupert's explanation, I think, was it last week, about riots and stuff? No, it was with me. And then, if we saw the greatness of God, uh, we would not give in to our appetites and overeat in boredom and, and have depression. So he just said, look, the, the greatness of God is this thing. If we know that God's great, we know that that isn't. That's That's it. When you move the greatness of God down, you think that's great and God isn't. The greatness of God must stand as a pillar. No, God's great. So when we're looking at riots, you go, no, God's great. God's great. Actually, what is great about God is that the riots actually were under his hand. They came up and then they went down. And actually the issue is, if God had not god is greatness over all the world and had lifted restraint can you imagine what the world would be like what we saw was a demonstration actually of restraint not because the world would go mad you have to look at all the places that are not rioting you think hello god is great let me put a positive spin on that corinthians 3 verse 18 And we with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, when we see the greatness of God, when we see the glory of God, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. So in worship, God is wanting to change us. It is a journey it's a journey of sanctification by spiritual input without any counselling whatsoever. God's wanting to meet you and change you and make him, because you see his glory. I don't know whether you came in this morning thinking, God's going to change me. I'm going to come out differently. See, and that's what worship does. Worship should change us. It's not the fill-in at all. It's the part of the process. We see his greatness and part of worship is declaring that. But it's also declaring it in the context of the flesh and the devil. So it's getting into our hearts as we worship. No. My God is greater. You know we sing that song, don't we? My God is greater than all the angels. My God is greater than all the demons. Fed up with people that proclaim... Come on, no! my God is greater than all the demons, all the evil spirits, all the principalities, all the powers, all the world rulers, all the present darkness, all the spiritual hosts of wickedness, all the things in heavenly places. This is my God. This is the one in whom I... This is whom I declare. This is, is whom I'm telling those things to. My God cannot fail. This is what I'm think, This is what I'm doing. I'm juk. Oh no! The one that I am worshiping cannot fail. Psalm eighty-six, going back to that one, verse nine. All the nations that you have made shall come and bow down before you, the Lord, O Lord, and glorify Thy name. Thy name. Sorry. Yes, Thy name. Let's do it in the AV. Sorry, <laughs> uh, but it's it's interesting that people. You know, the great commission cannot fail. Our God cannot fail. There's nothing that can dethrone him. Why are you dethroning him? Well, the riots were bad. <laughs> is it a double dip depression? <laughs> Come on, our God, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what happens. Your God cannot fail and he will not fail you. The Great Commission cannot fail. The people that he wants to call to him will be called to him. Nothing can stop them. If you are in here and, and you are not a Christian this morning and you think, I'm going to resist him. Not going to let the preacher into my heart. And you know, some people do that. Uh, we've had people, haven't we, they, they've brought guests with them. You know, and they've sort of thought, you know, And they've sort of been praying, oh Lord. You know, actually, there is something about, the, uh, there's a doctrine about the irresistibly sort of nature of God. Is it the irresistible nature of God? That sort of thing. Actually, if God wants to save you this morning, tougho, you're in. There's no you can do about it. Why? Because my, my God is bigger than you. It's just that, and he's on my side. That's it. My God can do this. You know, sometimes you get discouraged, don't you, with, with this, and you get discouraged with well, riots, blah, you know, that sort of stuff. No salvation and all that, so you get discouraged. Sometimes you just have to go back to these scriptures, and, and that's what worship does. It brings us back into the presence of whom is the God in we worship, Look, all nations you have made will come and bow before you facto Facto I'm just gonna give a leaflet down in Eagle's Meadow and they go Nah, not having it. And you go ha <laughs> You know Well they swore at me and it wasn't right they did it. If God wants them to be saved tough they will get saved if it wasn't through your leaf it will be sometime else because the great commission will not fail our god will not fail what about we haven't got time for this you know things like uh for if god is for us who can be against us then what's up then (laughs) what is it with you what is it with me If God is for me, all things are working against me and it's just going utterly wrong. My mum used to say, and all all these happen in threes. (laughs) What is that? Always happen in threes. What happens? All things are happening, it's not in threes. On the fourth thing, God is for me. No, come on. (laughs) God is for you. God is greater. The Great Commission can't fail. God is for me. Your eternal hope is secure. We could go on, couldn't we? Look, whatever happens, sickness. Look at that great list of, of the Apostle Paul that he got, you know, hardships, shipwrecks, 49 lashes by whatever it was, all that sort of things that went wrong, chucked out of this city, thrown into dungeons and all that sort of stuff. And he goes, Yeah. Why? Because we have an eternal hope. Your heaven is secure for you. Your place in heaven is labeled. It cannot be taken from you. So what do we do in response to these things? We sing. We make a joyful noise. We look at God and we go, That's great. You know, there's sometimes we get a song that says, you know, you can't be silent. You can't be silent. Actually, you can't be silent. You mustn't be silent. God is great. Why are you silent when God is great? And worship is to declare him as great. We're going to come on to that a little bit later. So, verse 4 and 5, i slipped that one in. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he has made it and the hands have formed uh, his dry land. Worship is more than telling him why he's great. It's more than that. It actually is putting something on it, I, and I just want to put something on this to give you a, a little bit of an expression here. Look, it says here, look, in his hands, and he says it twice, and in his hands of a, And sometimes, what you should do is that. What should happen with you and me is that we should read a song. We should. L- we should be. Um, singing a song or listening to a scripture that's been read and actually turmoil should be going on in your heart the first turmoil in is something like this which bit of that song am I going to respond to the other turmoil is this what part of that scripture now if you want to see the epitome of this look at phil Harmon. this is what happens to him sometimes you if you ever notice this now i don't mean this in disparagingly in regard to this but sometimes phil will get so mixed up with with all the things with the song that's come you will get it upside down back to front in different order because he's just sang a song and there is so much in this that he wants to say back to god that he's not quite sure which bit to say back to god and what order so it's just going to come out and it comes out like tongues and we'd all going, it's just like Phil Harmon actually what I want to say that to you is why is it not happening to me why am I unresponsive to the song or to the truth why has it not got hold of me I want to actually not put him down I want to commend him because he's, he's listening to truth and he's going I don't know what to do with this what do I do with this and he's sort of... And that, that is wonderful. That's why sometimes... That's why it's not about theology. It's about response. It's responding to God. So I want you to imagine that we're reading verse 4 and 5. And I just want to do it for you, if I can. This is what struck me when I read those verses. And I just got it. And I just thought, his hands. Oh, I'd never seen it before. His hands. So I thought, what about his hands? What is he telling me here? So... And I just thought, what do his hands express here? And I thought, Lord, they express your power, your ability, your uh, immensity here in this. If you look at it, you know, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the height of the mountains and the sea. How does he hold the sea in his hand? What is that? What's that you've got in your hand, Lord? That's that's the Pacific. (laughs) And the Atlantic. And the Indian Ocean what you you were? i mean that's a good light lord i'm just amazed that you hold all these in your that amen that will do us so you so and he takes us doesn't he to, this is the way that my mind works. this is just an illustration of me so then i i just went back to genesis chapter one and verses nine and ten and god said let the waters uh, under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear and it was so God called the dry land earth and he called the waters that were gathered together seas. And God saw that he could do that. And I thought, how did he do that? He did it with his hand. That is some hand. He did it with his hand. Now, think about that. Think about the extraordinary power of God. Think about it. Now, hear this. This is where I went. This is just me. John chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. How can you say I'm not sure about my salvation? His hand created the heaven and the earth. Is that not strong enough then to hold you So I look at that and I think, I'm going to make a joyful noise about that. I'm going to tell him that he's great about that. I'm going to respond to that. And I want to encourage you from, to do that. Don't let truth, don't thread it between your eyes. Let it get into you. Start thinking about it. Start doing something about it. Verse 6. Oh, look, it's nearly off the bottom. Verse 6. We won't do them all, so don't worry. Verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. What is Hebrew? What is worship saying? Worship is, the Hebrew word for worship is shakah. S-H-A-K-A-H. It means to fall down or bow down. In saying, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, uh, uh, the God of our maker. The psalm is saying, I surrender to you. I don't surrender to me. I don't surrender to my circumstances. I don't. I give everything up to you. So our worship shows that we are doing that. Here's a people who have given up. That's what we do, we're surrendering. It's the same as Romans, Romans chapter 12. Verse, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When I'm worshipping, when I'm giving, when I'm responding, when all those sort of things, when I'm doing that joyful noise thing, this, this is demonstrating to God that I surrender to you. And it's more than just a noise, just for those who say, is it just going to be a noise, Nigel? No. There are different kinds of physical expressions in worship. And actually there isn't one to just stand with your hands behind your back. It just isn't. It's not in the Bible. You can lift them. You can lie prostrate. You can kneel. You can clap. You can dance. But you can't put them behind your back and have a moment with the Lord. See, to prostrate oneself actually is to surrender and to submit to the superior. So actually, when you don't engage physically, your demonstration is one of, I am not submitting to the superior. You know, people would say to me, you know, I, I just don't do those things. Actually, God requires you to do those things because it demonstrates that he's superior. When you say, I don't do those things, it means that you are more superior than him. That you think that you know better than him. That's the truth. Sorry about that. That's just what it says in the Bible. Thus, when you see Moses, Moses encounters God. And what does it say? He says that he encounters him and he bows down before him and lies on the ground. Wow. It's a physical thing. It's a submission thing. It's a demonstration of who's boss, who is. It's a, it's a position sometimes of humility. I'm, I'm humble before him. My preferences have just gone out the window. His preferences come. Let me just say this one thing about, just about dancing. I am rubbish. (laughs) But the issue isn't my rubbish. The issue actually is whether I should respond on some occasions in this way. It's there. The issue of lifting my hands is not whether I like it or not. It actually tells me to do that, to lift up my hands. Whether I clap, it tells me that I should do that. And and I, in doing that, I'm just saying, no, you're God and I am not. I am not God of me, you are God of me. You actually are saying, you are the creator, you made me, I'm the created one, I'm not going to take worship casually and lightly. I'm going to take it seriously. It's what we're doing. Therefore, worship is the turning over of God, uh, our lives to God. I kneel, I bow, I surrender, I give up. There's much, there is much worship uh, today about me. And I'm quite uncomfortable with it, I have to say that. Um, I, I will do it, but I, I find sometimes that, that songs, uh, even writers for the I have talked endlessly for this, that worship light, writers, write songs about me about you know, and, and I'm uncomfortable with that. I have to say that. It's not that I don't. And I, I go other places and that they do that. And uh, for me, it's never about me. It is about him, but it's also the position. That I take before him. I am I am submitting to him. He wants me to do things in a particular way before him. He has given us some things for us to do. No. We should expect a physical response in worship. We should. So, looking forward to next week then. Uh, Did I press the button? Verse 7, we're nearly at the end. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today. If you hear my voice, why am I going to humiliate myself? Why am I going to dance in front of you lot badly? Why am I going to raise my hand and poke Belinda in the eye as I do it? Why am I going to kneel? Why am I going to lie down? Why am I going to clap? Why am I going to sing with, from the top of my voice? Why am I going to do all those things? Simply because he's my God, he's my saviour, he's my leader, he's my master, he's my king, he's my redeemer, he's my lover, he's my friend, he's my shepherd, I belong to him, he purchased me, he owns me, therefore I will do that. I'll do what he asks me. More than that though. It isn't just I want to make you lot do a load of things that you just do not like doing, because I'm God. It's like that when you do the kids, don't you? You get when the kids are little, you know, they're sitting in front of you with our kids, liver and onions, (laughs) which I love liver and onions. I don't know what is the matter with them, and and it's sort of like this. I don't, we tried all sorts. We would, sorry, Dorothy, this is not in it. Denzel, will have to explain it. We, we tried everything. We sort of, you know, lashed it up with all sorts of different things. And we'd come to the meal table. And I don't know whether you've ever done this with your kids, but you can sense as you're moving towards the meal table and there's the smell that's gone out from the kitchen. And that this is not going to go, well. and you say something like, you will sit there until you have eaten this. Now, to our kids, eaten was Phil. Not, not just uh, I, Ray, Amy was the worst Amy was I can get the whole dinner in my mouth <coughs> that sort of stuff and sometimes it, you know worship can feel like liver and onions it just is <laughs> like ha <laughs> it was tripe in my day my dad made me eat tripe tripe and onions that was a you sat there at the tables and it was sort of, no, don't do Because you knew if you were sick on the table, oh, no, no, don't go there. But do you see what I mean? Worship can be like that. It can be like the Lord's making me do loads of things. That I, just, I, I just don't want to do. What does the Lord think he's doing? I do not want to do this. I want to do this. You know, it's like liver and onions. I've come together for liver and onions. hate it do you know this is true that amy i'm sorry i've just got her came back from home and she said she said i sat by joanne she said it's interesting sitting by joanne in worship she said because joanne is very physical so i said to amy what was joanne doing so, and she said, well, I, she was loving the Lord. She said, she was just away. She said, I looked at her several times, never looked at me. She's just, Joanne, so I, said, and so I said to Amy, would you like to describe it? You can get her back because she's coming tonight. And she said, Joanne was, 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 she said, Amy did this. She said, Joanne was doing this. Now, can you imagine sitting by this? <laughs> can you imagine being married to it? <laughs> this is, Ralph what is she doing? And, and you just think, and, and, it can, and you could go, and you can, I'm not joining that church. It's got one of them in it. <laughs> That's the, it's all right, Tom. You, Joanne will teach you later. But it's, it's that sort of it can be liver, you know, that sort, of, that sort of We loved it. I love it so much. So, why is God asking us to do these things? Now, hear me. Here's the picture of God being the shepherd and me being his sheep. Through worship, through my submission to him, he wants to lead me to a place where I can feed on him and I can be full. And, and the difficulty is, if you don't want to go there, the Lord wants to feed you. The Lord wants to take you to a green pasture. More than that, it tells you, it says, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. So the product is not only that you get the nearness of God. Not only do you get the Lord taking you to a lovely pasture where you can feed on him. You get the voice of God. God's going to speak to you. Wow. John 10:27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I think that's worth one of them for. I'm going to do that every week for the voice of God don't you think that oh i'll do anything lord i'll do it with my legs if you want to <laughs> do, do you think we're not sort of sometimes you just think you know we are oh, not doing that well okay then stuff your green pasture in the voice of the it, it literally is like that isn't it i would reckon that when joanne was doing that she was having a wonderful time with god because she was just submitting to what she felt her expression was of God at that time. And, and stuff you. It really, and, and well done, Joanne. Mm-hmm. Well done. In conclusion then, well, what is the obstacle to my worship? Is it, is it the room? Is it the band? Did Tim play too loudly? Is it the song choice, Nigel? a song choice is it is it oh you know just is it all what's gone on beforehand is it the style those sort of things no actually verse 8 it says do not harden your hearts as as meribah as on the day of manasseh in the wilderness here it is it's me and my heart the obstacle to worship is me and uh, I just want to read you the passage and then I'll conclude. Because Meribah means a place of contention. If you bring contention, dispute, conflict, disharmony, rebellion into the setting of worship, you miss out from God. You can bring it. Uh, Masa means a place of temptation. My, my eyes are on the wrong things. Let me read you this story where this has been quoted from and, and I'll finish Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. This is what the psalmist is using as the thing that can get us. He said, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved from on the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped, and they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the the people quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us out of Egypt to kill our children and our livestock? We thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord and he said, What do I do with these people? They're, They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people Uh, taking uh, with you some of the elders of Israel and taking in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water shall come out and the people will drink. And Moses did so. And in the sight of the elders of Israel, he called the name Massa and Meribah because quarreling of the people of Israel And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord not amongst us or not? We have to ask the question, what are the things that harden my heart? Am I just angry with everybody and all that's going on around me? Is everybody really wrong? This is what was happening here. Is it not... As you wanted it to be. I don't know. Hear your heavenly father's appeal. Don't harden your hearts. The Lord is wanting to lead you to a green pasture. He's wanting you to experience his nearness. He's wanting to speak to you. Do you not think that is a battle worth fighting for? The battle is with me and you for worship Amen